do these community calls, um, I like the interaction, I like the discussions. Uh, so, you know, when we're, we're not in kind of talking specifically to a guest, uh, we do these weekly calls. We've been doing them about a year now. Um, we didn't always record them. We did start recording them. Vicki did that. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I like having this kind of discussion with everybody. And, you know, since last week, I wasn't able to run one. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to talk to each other this week. So thank you all for being on here uh, and uh, making time out of your day to join. So I guess, uh, should I just continue then? Are we good? Let's go for it. All right. Well, I, I addressed the three things that I felt like I kept getting over this past week. Um, the John Looney clip was uh, regarding his, you know, theory on potential UN soldiers. I tweeted that and there was <laughs> a lot of people accusing me of fear mongering. And then in shadow band, there was quite a discussion around, you know, whether or not this guy was legit or, you know, whether or not they were actually going to come door to door. And look, guys, when we post these things, it's not so much like this is the inevitable, <laughs> you know, this is definitely what's happening, verified across everywhere, because, you know, obviously no one would tell us this. And if there was some kind of military intel, I mean, we just, we don't know if there are, you know, things being leaked. Obviously, if evidence presents itself, that kind of brings more a definitive curve. But what I didn't want to do is get hung up on the fear. Um, so that's why in my thread, I address the fact that I am not here to be afraid of what John Looney says. And, uh, you know, that's not the intention with that clip. It's merely just to keep everybody aware, because I think the more we talk about this stuff, uh, the more we manifest it. And, you know, some people talk about raising their vibration and speaking, you know, out. Ultimately, we control. Um, we are in control of what is happens next how we, you know, communicate and embrace each other, the stand in the park, the events people go to, the discussions they have, the support groups like this one here. I mean, this is all essential. This is part of keeping uh, your spirits, keeping your armor on and your head focused. And I really, now that we've been doing this for, you know, such a, you know, a year or so, right, Vex? Um, I look back at like, and I, I really just always revert, revert back to our event in Cotswolds in Nailsworth um, in December, because you remember we were all, I mean, some people traveled the country to show up to that event. And um, we were all ready to do whatever it took to stop those mandates. You know, we were organizing in a freedom alliance. We wrote like a you know, a manifest, you know, the basics of what, what could be written into a manifesto, like a published document. And we were all ready to go door to door there to spread the good word. And interestingly enough, not only did the internet go out that night, but, you know, as we moved into the new year, they had to kind of uh, pull back the reins on their draconian, tyrannical, you know, tirade. And, you know, this is, this is kind of the sequence we're in. We're in this you know, they're, they're going to push, do what they can, raise the antics, fear monger, all these things to test our reactions. That's what those headlines, a lot of that clickbait is, you know, the surveillance stuff. I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again, the technology for 
Jesus Christ. The technology and a lot of this, um, you know, surveillance, biometric, uh, internet of, uh, of things, a kind of stuff that's being introduced, it's not really new. I mean, it's it's been around. Sure, it's evolved, but it's, you know, and it's becoming more in your face and definitely more intrusive. But, you know, the technology for a uh, digital ID existed at least 15 years ago uh, when my husband, and perhaps I'll share that story, um, you know, was doing work for the cabinet office. And there's always been talk within the security community. Obviously, it, it's a government's wet dream to have a, a biometric surveillance ID but the reason why it hasn't come into fruition is because of the people. So I guess those uh, that's my my way of addressing both the John Looney point and the plan. Um, I know people are very hung up on this kind of plan of Trump and people, white hats. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, I, I'm not here to debunk any of that. I, I have not given up. And I haven't given up because... We were on the ground working on the election stuff. We met people. I mean, we knew now we knew the people trying to fight to get, you know, uh, the contracts and, you know, to push back on the audits. I was there in California with the SB 276 when removal of the exemptions. I've seen firsthand how this legislative process works now. Um, whereas in 2018, coming off of the boat from England, I didn't really know uh, a lot of it. And I can see now, again, how the information from what happens here on the ground completely changes, you know, by the time it's given out to the wider public around the world. Um, and I'm telling you, like, something is ha going to happen with these midterms. I just, I just don't know. And I'm not a prophet. And I don't want to give false intel or pretend like I'm talking to white hats in order to earn credibility, because that's not my style. Everything I've told you about what I know about what's happening and whatever plan there is, is based on the people and the people themselves. I've never been a Trump occultist. Um, I, you know, I really went sour with the whole vaccine push, but that doesn't mean I think, you know, he, there's been stuff that's happened, especially with what's going on with the raid in Mar-a-Lago and, you know, watch him get arrested. Watch there be such a pushback there that if there were midterms, it really will be a red wave. Um, but I don't know. I have this weird, you know, just because, you know, I think because there's been so much local action uh, within each district court, state by state, from Arizona, Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia. I mean, everybody, and and they don't they don't really publish all of it. I mean, and I'm I will be the first one to admit I'm not the American patriot here on the ground, you know, following the freedom charge around the country. I, I'm not doing that. Um, so I'm not the one that can list out exactly which precincts and districts have been pushing back. If anybody on this call that knows all those details, you know, we'll open the floor to you. But, you know, I've, I've been seeing it and, and hearing it, you know, where local, you know, Wisconsin overturned the election. And a lot of this stuff is happening underneath the radar. Like it's not being announced. And for me, I feel like we're, we're getting to this tipping point where Trump gets raided. Now, whether or not you love Trump or not, it's irrelevant. But there is something going on with this man. And why he chose the role that he or why he was put in this role and this QAnon effect that has happened as a result. I don't believe everything I've been told about this, but I have shared with you guys what I have known to be true 
Um, you know, the thing about Q clearance, I didn't make that up. I was told that years ago. And so it's hard for me to just kind of shake everything. Do I believe that we're going to have a savior coming in, writing in? No, but I do believe there are saviors and, you know, it's the people it's, and then we're working here. And when we talk about raising our vibration or moving into different dynamics of maybe not just human beings, but spiritual realms and all this, I believe you know, this, this spiritual evil that has kind of presented itself um, won't manifest, won't continue to stay provided we keep pushing back. And there's enough good people on the ground that eventually I think there will become a, you know, we will reach that tipping point, as I've mentioned. Um, so when I hear people saying, like, do you think there was just a plan to keep everybody placated? I don't believe that at all. Not for a second, not for a second. And that is because there are, you guys may not have met them. I haven't shook, shaken everyone's hand, but there are people that have devoted their lives to and stick and stuck their head out above the pulpit to try to, um, you know, fight against these broken elections, fight against the pedophilic, you know, demonic uh, industry coal following that is Hollywood. You know, there's just too many people saying the same thing. And everybody, I guess, wants to attribute that to the, the plan and Trump and all this. But I, what I just want to say is, look, it's it's not all about this kind of alternative narrative that is this Q I mean, because we all have free choice, free will, and it's the free will. So whatever was planned, even as meticulously planned as a military operation would be, and I have no doubt there was at some capacity and level of um, military intervention here, you know, very staged. Like, I mean, we're seeing this with the raid and this kind of, you know, the, you know, the the presentation of evidence, the kind of force feeding that we're seeing the public go through. And I believe that was all planned in a way that is, is to take the entire population. So when we hear people start moaning because they see through the prism or the paradigm of their own lives, which is not to fault them, we all do this. But it, again, it's just to remind everyone that this is a, a much bigger fight. There's much more variables. And to circle back to where I was going with free will, we are all, we are all conscious beings. That's, that's the choice we have. And, uh, you know, people that were bad can somehow sometimes make good decisions, maybe not with the best of intentions, maybe for personal gain, but, you know, bad people can be used to drop truth and we can see the sequence of how these players, okay, players on a global stage are being used. Um, and I, I hope that makes sense. I hope I didn't ramble there or lose anybody. Um, because I, you know, I, I do appreciate what the great awakening has done for the public. And so even if people want to just say it's a psyop and close the book, well, the psyop worked in that, you know, the people were waking, waking up and now aware and, and do not for a second discredit the, the, the amazing ability of, of what awareness does, right? Of what education and what knowledge. Okay. So first you might know about the TV license and then after a year it bothers you. And then three years, and then now you're like, hell no, we're done. You know, like this is how, how this is how it works, but we're not working micro groups that follow Q or, you know, Trump patriots or Trump occultists or back former back Boris or Brexit here. You guys, that, that's too small. We got to think much bigger. You know, we're talking about 
the entire world here kind of realizing that the global system, you know, at play and the one that's, you know, trying to be implemented is not one of the people for the people. So what are the people going to do? 90% of them never want to do anything. They don't want anything to do with politics, admittedly, for much of the reasons we all know. But, you know, we still have to be patient to see how all the players um, eventually expose themselves and what the power of the people do to the people in power. Um, so again, I don't want to ramble on because I, you know, I know that we have a bigger discussion to have. Um, and hopefully my husband is on here. Uh, I've asked him to join us because, you know, on all this discussion about what's going on with, you know, WEF, you guys can see my pinned tweet. I'm no fan, um, you know, of these organizations, these criminal organizations. I've had friends that have gone to global leader events. I can't believe for years it was applauded as being something so, you know, you start thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't want to associate with anybody that has had any association with them. But I'm like, hold on, guys. Before we start going down that road, remember, there are still really good people in all of these organizations, not all of them are bad apples, right? It's just the few at the top that we all know. So to assume that anyone that's had, I mean, I know that because it was, we're all done. We're all angry. We're all like ready to grab the pitchforks. So you want to, you know, just shun everybody that's been involved. But actually these organizations are so large and the tentacles are so deep. You know, I think about the infiltration within Tech City and how much I loved being a part of that and all the people there. Um, you know, but then, I see on my Facebook, they're encouraging, <laughs> you know, electric cars and like, like everything I personally can't stand. And then, you know, part of me just wants to like unfriend, unfriend, you know, you, you, you believe in UBI. Oh, what an idiot. Unfriend. Oh, you like the inflationary bill. Oh, you don't understand. You know, and then I have to say, wait a minute, check your head, Jen, because this is stupid. This is exactly what they want. More division. And um, I've been guilty of it really badly, guys, of, of, of isolating friends for this reason. And that's that's ignorance on my part, because I need to be able to <clears throat> stay there with them. We need everybody, just like I fight with the, for the Patriots when all those damn scammers came on the scene. You know, and I used to say I was telling you guys that we need everybody not to not lose their spirits. I, I still believe that we have to you know, fight for those friends and family that we know that have been taken in by the illusion, uh, you know, including the people I know on the tech ground that are kind of promoting and uh, pushing for some of these drastic measures within, you know, the internet, you know, or you, you know, most of us would think, Oh my gosh. Um, so listen, I uh, wanted, so on that note, I wanted to kind of uh, open the floor now, Matthew, are you there? Um, to basically talk a little bit about, um, you know, this new, this, this, well, it's not new. I mean, the partnership between Weef and Ripple. And, you know, many of you listen to that and feel like, you know, again, that's, you know, like your friends are having an association with the bad guy. Um, when, you know, I just went to lunch with my husband and we were talking about this and he said, no, it's actually one of the best strategic moves you know, that, that Ripple could have done because while we are appearing before a global audience, he, they are strategically positioning themselves, um, you know, to kind of be that backbone of the new financial system. 
I've said to you guys before, when this ultimately breaks, when there is a collapse, they're not going to be, you know, auditioning new technology. There's going to be no, there's going to, you're going to be fire and fury and demand accountability. And there's going to need to be solutions enacted. And as evil and corrupt and compromised as these government agencies are, we must also keep in light that they are very calculated and there are very smart people and clever. And, and, and there's, and there's been decisions made that are oftentimes never told to the public or, you know, are, are there, you know, be, being orchestrated and there'd be no onus to tell us we wouldn't be the ones to know um and this is why we've seen all these people tell you know the big big investors tell the public you know don't invest in bitcoin you know it's a laundering coin don't invest in this and that and then they go and they you know set up etfs around this they know what's coming right so matthew are you there hello yes can you hear me yes hi so I guess I wanted to just um, tell everybody a little bit about your background and, and just, you know, very quickly so they understand where you came from when you started working on, RIP, you know, the security stuff and then now this open source tool and what you've been doing the last few weeks. Uh, okay, yeah. So I, I'm Matthew. Uh, I'm uh, Jennifer's husband. Um, I'm part of the uh, Crypto Anarchist Libertarian Pipeline. As in, I believe in a, a world of uh, no government or ideally minimal government in a, in a person's life, um, which is my personal political uh, views. Um, and I'm a professional computer hacker. For the last uh, 20, uh, 20 years or so, I've been breaking into computer networks and trying to understand how they work. Um, around 2008, I want to say 2007, back when Bitcoin was around uh, $14. Um, I got involved in cryptocurrency, trying to understand what it was because some kids came to me and said, hey, this is a great way to uh, pay for um, computer intrusion tools and things like that, where previously people were paying with gold and uh, hard cash currency. They were saying Bitcoin is the kind of the future of money. And, um, you know, I, I, I got a little interested in it and, and tried to mine a lot of it um, and kind of have been involved in various cryptocurrency uh, related things from uh, from both my professional work capacity and also as a as an individual uh, investing and building machines and trying to make money from it. Um, so yeah, my main business is in is in providing security services, and uh, we raised uh, myself, Jennifer, and Vicky raised some money from the Ripple Foundation. So full disclosure, um, you know, we we did get paid some money to build tools for the Ripple uh, network, but um, you know, we could have pitched for any kind of network or whatever. And I'll explain why Ripple in a few moments. Um, but I just, so that's my background anyway. I'm a very technical person. I have a lot of knowledge in, in cybersecurity and, um, you know, cryptography and uh, these kinds of systems in general. I, I broke into a lot of banks and things like that. Um, so, yeah, so Jennifer specifically asked me to be on the call today uh, so that I could try to break down in layman's terms uh, as simply as possible why even Ripple? Why not Bitcoin? Why not Monero? Why not Ethereum or Ravencoin or any other number of coins out there that have different kinds of models and everything else? And and to, to do that, what I want to do is I, I want to kind of explain all this um, blockchain cryptocurrency stuff in the most layman's terms possible. So if you're kind of expecting really detailed technical stuff, um, that's not what I'm going to do today. I, I, I am known for that, and we can do that another time. But today, I wanted to try and bring it back to the basics and explain to people what what even is a blockchain, right? So, if we if we if we think about what is a blockchain, and we think about the start of all this cryptocurrency stuff, 
Um, if you have a ledger, let's say it's Scrooge's ledger and he's keeping track of the coal that, you know, he's giving to Kermit the Frog or whatever. Um, you know, it's a ledger. It's a, it's a physical ledger, a book of some kind. Um, and uh, Party A, let's call Party A Alice, and Party B Bob. Uh, they're gonna, uh, they have some accounts. They, they want to, uh, send money between each other or keep track of the coal or whatever it is that they're using the ledger for. Um, and they, uh, they basically agree, you know, Alice says, okay, this is my balance. And Bob says, this is my balance. And they, they put it in the ledger. And that ledger is a shared ledger, right? It's a, it's an accounting book. It's a, it's a way of keeping track of, uh, of something. Um, so that ledger that is a shared ledger that Alice and Bob both use for keeping track. Um, Alice might say, okay, Bob, I'm going to give you $300. Uh, $300. And Bob says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll note it in the ledger. They both agree. Okay, fine. Um, now, let's enter Eve. Okay, Eve is a, a, a third party. And she comes along and she says, hey, you know, uh, we've got this ledger here. Alice, uh, Bob, and Eve, they're all doing a share, shared ledger. And Alice says, I'm sending $300 to Bob. And Eve uh, puts in, actually, it was $300 to Eve, right? Um, then how, how do we know, um, you know, that, 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 that was the right transaction, right? Everyone can see. So Alice, Bob and Eve can all see the ledger and they can say, okay, well, that, that, that was kind of the, the, the incorrect transaction. So blockchain came about from the concepts of digitizing this process, right? Um, they, they, they created a digital public shared ledger. And um, when it comes to digital uh, shared ledgers, this, this kind of blockchain technology, a key concept around it is what's known as consensus. And you'll hear it's bounded about all the time. And this is really what was the innovation behind Bitcoin. This is why Bitcoin was such an, uh, an innovative concept is because of its interesting approach to a consensus problem. Um, that is, if Alice sends Bob $300 and Eve writes in the transaction and lies about it, on, on a digital system, on a computer system, um, it's really easy to falsify records. So how can we be sure that the information that's stored in the ledger is really accurate, is the correct ledger, right? You know, Alice might be, uh, might be deceiving people. Bob might be deceiving people. Eve could be deceiving people, right? Everyone's on the take when it comes to finance systems. Everyone's got something, you know, to, to, they want to pour in their pocket and they want to take something out of it. So imagine then you've got that original ledger. And you have a group of people standing around, right? And Alice sends $300 to Bob and Bob says, okay, I've got $300. And Eve says, no, Alice sent $300 to me and tries to add it in the ledger. If you had a crowd of people standing around watching that process, that's a little bit like how a distributed ledger system works. You have a series of nodes that are standing around that are watching this ledger to see what are these transactions that are taking place. Um, they are essentially proposals and transactions. They say, okay, well, here is what I propose. Here is what is transacted. Um, and underneath all of this is a concept of uh, uh, cryptography, essentially. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll come to the cryptography stuff in a moment. Um, but let's, let's go back to our example where we've got this crowd of people standing around, Alice, Bob, and Eve. Um, if Eve lies and writes on the ledger, oh, Alice gave me $600 and Bob nothing, a crowd of people who were looking around, even if some of them were looking at the ceiling or the floor, right, would say, hey, you're, you're putting in incorrect information in the ledger. And that's really the core concept behind how a blockchain functions. It's, it's a consensus that is agreed by computer systems that the information being recorded in a shared ledger is correct. And it does that through a process known as a mathematical proof. It's, it's trying to prove through an algorithm that these transactions being recorded in the ledger are accurate and true and match what should be in the ledger 
and then that ledger is closed and the next ledger is open and the consensus round begins again. Now, Bitcoin uses a proof of work. It's a, a decentralized system that shares out a puzzle and rewards people for solving that puzzle for basically being um, the, the, the consensus uh, decider. Like they, 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 they win the round, they record the block onto the ledger, um, therefore they are rewarded as part of this process. Um, and it's supposed to empower individuals. There's no kind of concepts of centralization. It is a fully decentralized network of computer systems that can agree, did Alice send Bob $300? Um, you know, and Alice's account is, is backed up by cryptography, which is a, a you know, a process of encryption and, and storing, uh, information, um, using what's known as public key and private key. Um, which is, I, I believe, asymmetric or symmetric. I think it's asymmetric encryption, uh, where my key is what's used to identify me. I can give you my public key part and I have my private key part, which is only known to me. And that's how I would identify that I'm Alice. I sign a message with my public key and say, hey, I'm Alice. I've sent Bob $300. Uh, 80% of the people or the nodes looking around go, yeah, that's that's about correct. You know, that's that's what happened. Alice sent Bob $300. Eve says I sent $50. And that's an invalid transaction. So that transaction would be discarded. No, Eve, you're a liar. And, uh, you know, she's she's written off the ledger. So that's Bitcoin. Bitcoin came onto the world, introduced this novel uh, concept of how to do consensus on a distributed ledger, how to how computer systems could agree that Alice did indeed send Bob that money. Now, the next technology that came along being kind of Ethereum, the idea of, of, of running smart contracts and, and, and everything else, um, is a little bit outside of scope for, for what we're going to talk about today. I really want to focus a little bit on Ripple, but the idea of a blockchain has been explained there. Um, and uh, Ethereum was kind of like Bitcoin 2.0. It added a kind of computation power that the ledger could also do some math, almost like putting a calculator on top of the ledger. Uh, on, on your le on your paper ledger and saying, here, you know, you can do a thing, but it being a bit, you know, programmable in a sense. Um, and Ripple, of course, which is one of the one of the top things. Now, there are, there are many other cryptocurrencies out there. There are many other blockchains out there. Um, and there are a, a lot of different reasons, um, you know, for people wanting to create their own and, and, and everything else. But there are there are kind of the top contenders in the world. And for the focus of what we're talking about now, I want to specifically talk about Ripple. So why even have Ripple, right? Ripple was really clever. What Ripple did, um, which a lot of the Bitcoin enthusiasts, people like myself, who would say, oh, I'm a crypto anarchist, let's ban the banks, screw the recession, after everything they've done, the bail-ins, let's get rid of them, the banks are awful, burn them to the ground, hate them, right? Um, you know, these kind of anarchistic type people, they missed the point, right? A distributed global ledger system like that is essentially a fintech product, right? You know, so everyone's saying, well, you can be your own bank, you could be an individual thing. But banks didn't want a crazy system where, you know, they had no say over what Alice and Bob might be able to try and do. So the Ripple Foundation came up with almost centralized, decentralized technology. So it has what's known as a UNL. And this is where a lot of people get confused. They say, oh, Ripple's not decentralized, right? It's not decentralized because you've got these UNLs, which are a, a group of servers, almost like a kind of council. Like, a, you know, if you go back to our original setting, we've got Alice sending $300 to Bob. Um, you know, we've got a crowd of people sitting around. Uh, they could almost be judges who are sitting on the top of the benches who say, you know, hey, uh, you know, what do you what say you the people did, did did this happen? Yes, it did. Okay, in the ledger it goes almost like a an authority 
above the people themselves. So to bring in a centralized concept really kind of angered a lot of the anarchistic types of people who wanted to get rid of banks and everything else, um, because they didn't understand that in, a, in any kind of finance system, you need some kind of authority, right? You need to be able to do something. Um, so at the extreme ends of that, people say, oh, well, you know, we don't need any kind of authority. That's where sanctions come in. That's where all this terrible stuff comes in. But if you if you think about having any kind of system, you, you kind of want to be able to stop things like maybe fraud or um, theft. And, and, and there are reasons why you perhaps might want to have um, a centralized component to such a decentralized system, a system that is resilient, that is that is distributed around the world, that, 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 that can move instantly information and everybody can agree this information is accurate. You might want to put something in there that is a little bit centralized, particularly if you're a bank. Um, and this is, again, where people get confused about Ripple because there's Ripple, which is what a lot of the, 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 the Ripple investors are putting their money in while the retail investors. And then there's things like RippleNet and OnePayFX and, and various others. And these are actually products that utilize the Ripple design to provide a centralized component. And you say, OK, well, a centralized component, like how, how does that kind of even work? Right. Um, and this is the genius of Ripple. Ripple created a uh, green, almost like a sustainable uh, technological concept. Instead of using a, a proof of work, which uses a lot of manpower, loses, uses a lot of um, electricity, as a bit, you know, a lot of drain on resources, they created a, a benzatine algorithm. And that benzatine algorithm is a mathematical proof that these nodes, like these nodes that are submitting their transactions that match these, the verification nodes, these centralized nodes that are part of the distributed system can agree and then put onto the ledger. Um, it's a mathematical proof that allows those 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 core servers, uh, which are referred to as the UNL servers, um, as being the ones who can say, OK, this is the entry on the ledger after looking at all of the transactions and things that are being submitted by the rest of the network. And it's brilliant. Uh, basically, if if my centralized systems suddenly can't talk to each other, if, if my if my six computers suddenly decide they can't talk to the other six computers, um, we might end up with a situation where six computers think that Bob sent Eve $300 and the other six computers think Alice sent Bob $300. How do, how, how do we then record it in, into the ledger, right? If we've got two different views of equal weight, how do we do that? Well, that's where that Banzatine algorithm comes in. It actually factors in things like net splits, um, you know, to create this consensus where it will start at a low value, look at the, look at the uh, transactions on the network until it gets to a threshold of 80% and says, yes, everybody agrees, 80% of the people agree this transaction is a valid transaction and records it into this, uh, this public ledger. So that's where you get a lot of confusion. Ripple is a essentially, uh, when you talk about Ripple, the retail investment, there are, there are UNL servers that are out there but they're not owned by the Ripple Foundation. They're not owned by the World Economic Forum. They're not owned by the globalist shills in the world. They are made up of the people who built and designed this new financial system, which is faster than any other interpayment protocol in existence that we've ever had, which is why Ripple became such a phenomenon in the banking sector, why it is always seen within the fintech world, um, because it put a face to a technology that the fintech script sector was screaming out for that needed to allow them to improve the speed of payments between borders and have a shared ledger between 
two banks. You know, you might have the, the Bank of China uh, and, the, uh, and the Bank of uh, London. Uh, and, and, and these two banks can essentially agree on, you know, what their shared ledger is, utilizing this very fast technology that allows them to essentially send transactions almost instantaneously, or, you know, a matter of, uh, matter of seconds in most of the things. It was five seconds or something I heard quoted back in 2012. Um, so that, that's, that's not everything to do with it, but it's kind of a high-level summary of, you know, the decentralization process. So when people say, okay, well, the World Economic Forum is partnering with them. Now, if you, if you, are, if you are the globalist cartel, right, and you've, you wake up one day and discover that um, some nerds in Silicon Valley have replaced your carefully constructed alliance light SwiftNet financial backbone system, which you use to enforce all your sanctions, with this new kind of decentralized technology, um, you know, uh, and you look at Bitcoin, you say, well, we're going to use Bitcoin or, you know, should we use Ripple? Um, Ripple provided a face and a means that the banks could still hold on to the illusion of power. And that's what people don't get. It's not that they really have or retain any power. They have the illusion of it because they can use RippleNet to make their own private blockchain that's private to their bank. They have their own private bank centralized servers that says, hey, yes, we are the Bank of England. I am the authority for this ledger, and I will send to the Bank of Santander, and I trust the Bank of Santander. So we can agree that these, these validators, these nodes, can all talk to each other, um, and we can sign messages, and that's our shared ledger. Um, but it's separate. It's a separate product to what is Ripple that people have been investing in, what they've been buying the tokens for, that is the open source, transparent, anyone can access it, and anyone can download the code, and run it. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I've been doing over the last um, couple of weeks is trying to build a bank in a box. Uh, Jennifer was like, we've got to build our own bank. I'm like, this is a brilliant idea. Um, and then she pushed me a bit further. Like, you know, first I said, no, I don't want to do that. But <laughs> secondly, she said that you've got to do it. Um, and, it, you know, we wanted to build a bank in a box, essentially, and try and understand. And you can actually just download the Ripple code, participate in that network, um, utilize it to send XRP, uh, you know, among, amongst people. And it's completely open source. Anyone can review the code. Anyone can look at what it does. Um, and if you go and look then at, uh, you know, things like sanctions and how that could be enforced, well, RippleNet as a product could be used by a bank who might want to put in a block list, um, you know, who might want to issue a, a certain amount of currency like, uh, you know, Chinese uh, 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 yen um, or yuan or whatever it is and convert it to, uh, you know, GB pounds or Great British pounds. Um, and that's essentially the, the core solution that RippleNet, try, Ripple tried to come up with was this idea of a bridge currency, converting some value of something into something else via a, via a ledger that has a token to support that action. Um, and then on top of that, they built a lot of very advanced finance concepts, things like payment channels, which support on-demand liquidity. Um, and again, Look, these are my opinions and my understanding of the technology. I'm still digging through a lot of its internals and trying to understand how it all functions and how it, all the parts link together, um, but at a very low level. Some people are very good at fin finance technologies in general, and they understand all, all, all of this book balancing and everything else. Um, you know, I'm very good at technology. So I understand what I'm looking at when I see source code. To me, source code is almost empirical truth uh, because it can't lie to me. The source code does what it, it does what it does. It tells the computer, it instructs the computer and says, the computer will do this thing. And that thing is true most of the time, right? There are obviously times when it's not always quite like that. But for the most part, when I see source code I see, and I can read it, 
I know it as a source of truth because I know that, that looking at what that is is what will run essentially inside of a machine. It's logical. It follows a set of instructions. It's, it's literal. It's written out as a set of guides, just like a kitchen cookbook is. So when you're preparing a meal, to me, the, you know, you put the ingredients down, you follow the instructions, you get a delicious, tasty meal at the end of it. Same thing with the source code. I look at the source code. I see it. I get a beautiful uh, bit of work done. And at the end of it, we've got something that runs and does things. So when people say, you know, um, you know, the, the, the World Economic Forum, I've partnered with Ripple. First of all, that's strategic for Ripple, right? It literally says, hey, we are the financial backbone of the world. Now, everybody in the finance world knew this, and they've known this since 2012. Um, it's faster than SwiftNet. It's not Bitcoin with a, you know, completely decentralized, no, no possible way of enforcing any regulation. The banks were like, no way, we can't use that. They needed something. They needed something that they could use instead of it that still did the same thing. And that's what's great about Ripple is because it's transparent. They can take it, run their own side chains. They run their own centralized, decentralized system, which is almost an oxymoron in itself, right? Um, so that, that, that's confusing. Um, and it confuses a lot of people. It definitely confused me at the beginning. So I'm like, well, why would you have a centralized system? Um, but you would want central authority, even in a decentralized system, if you're using it as a product to build things like RippleNet, uh, OnePayFX, and other things. If you're a bank, you're not just going to uh, run a completely decentralized system and, and, and have no control, right? You want to have some kind of control over what you're doing. So the World Economic Forum is coming along and saying, oh, you know, um, we're going to partner with Ripple, right? Um, it obviously sends shivers down a lot of people's mind. Like, oh, God, the globalists, right? The globalists are coming. The new world order is coming. And, and, and in a way, the World Economic Forum doing that is almost like trying to shake out people who are under trying to get, it, get into this technology, trying to trying to make it known this is the banking technology. It's going to scare people off and force them onto Bitcoin. Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's garbage. It takes, it take, it's too slow. Um, it, you know, it, it's revised through what is known as BIPs, which are like the XLS proposals. People make a proposal, they write them down. And a key thing, it's not quantum computer proof, right? There's no, there's no quantum, uh, al quantum uh, computer proof algorithm utilized or capable of being utilized in Bitcoin. There might be eventual proposals or something. We don't really understand what computes, quantum computers can do in the public domain. But if you think governments don't have them, then you're kind of under the illusion already, right? Uh, because they're 50 years ahead of anything that anyone else has seen. The world's military, technologically wise, they've got technology 50 years ahead of what we're going to see. So they're already light years ahead in terms of technology times. A week is a long time in technology. 50 years is, is centuries, um, you know, when it, when it comes to te technology timelines. So, you know, no, no quantum, no quantum resilience. So the very first thing anyone does when they get a quantum computer is they're going to take everyone's Bitcoin, right? Because why not? Um, at least Ripple has thought about that. They've even, they've even proposed a hypothetical quantum, uh, computer resistant algorithms. They've really spent the time to build this into a suitable replacement for Swift something that can provide the level of transparency, the level of openness that customers are beginning to expect about their finances um, and still give banks the illusion of control. Um, when, when it comes to the XRP token in the public domain, all those kind of uh, validator servers, they're split around various technology companies. Um, people who build the Zum wallet, for instance, run one. Uh, the Ripple Foundation themselves run one. Other technology projects that might be interested in Ripple um, supporting financial institutions run some of those nodes. But the cool thing about the UNLs is on their own, they don't hold any power. All, all of them have to agree. At least 80% of them have to agree to something. It's actually slightly over 80%, but they all have to agree on something. Um, and as long as they all agree on it, then that is what's recorded on the ledger. If they can't all agree on it, then it's discarded as invalid. 
Um, so no one centralized source, even if the World Economic Forum got its grubby mitts in and tried to take over all these uh, all these validating nodes, can really control it. Um, but certainly the the the, uh, the WEF would like to make it seem like it can, right? Um, and just while we're on the subject of the new world order, um, but moving on from from, from that, uh, you know, the the uh, the, the WEF. Um, uh, and, and Ripple partnership, it's not something to, to, to massively be concerned about. It's actually very strategically placed for Ripple to turn around and say, look, yeah, we're a serious contender to SWIFT, right? Um, and the situation with the SEC, uh, you know, when, if you come along, you know, you, you know, and replace the world's financial background, back, back, uh, backbone, right? You're talking about replacing, um, the world's money, right? Not, you know, I, I, you, you think cryptocurrency is a trillion dollar market. Imagine all the money in the world. That's what they've replaced. They've, they've made that better. They've made that stronger. They've made that so banks have less of a control over the customer and the customer has a bit more freedom, but also made it appetizing to banks, which is what Bitcoin never did. Bank, Bitcoin was always screw the bank. Uh, Ripple were like, actually, let's listen to the banks and see what the banks want and, and let's improve on the Bitcoin technology, um, which is why it's kind of entertaining to me because you know, they were spot on to do that because at the end of the day, you know, all of this stuff becomes a fintech solution. It is a technology solution to a, a, a problem um, in the world. And that is how do we get more transparency in our finances? How can we see more about what the, what the banks are doing? You know, if HSBC is laundering a ton of money, right, and the other banks want to know about that, um, how can they check that? Well, this is kind of a way in which that, that problem might end up being solved. So, yes, RippleNet can enforce sanctions. But that doesn't mean that any sanctions that are applied need to be enforced on the Matthew, what I wanted, people always ask me about whether or not they can, the WEF, et cetera, you know, the CBDCs can turn off your money, right? So there's that, and we always talk about, you know, these are applications built in the application layer. They can be removed. It's not synonymous with using the technology. And you can always have a wallet outside the system. So no one's able to turn off XRP. And there were the other question to that uh, is that can, you know, if, if it doesn't use the internet, how does that work? Okay. Let me answer both of those questions then. So the, the, the uh, first one was the central bank digital currencies. Effectively, central bank digital currencies would be uh, on top. They would run on top of the XRP. They'd be a token issued. Um, inside of the technology, but by and of themselves, the only control that they have is that which the people give them. Okay. If you decide you're going to use a central bank, uh, currency, you're going to use the, the, the digital pound, let's say it is, you're going to use the digital pound, right? Um, you know, the ledgers are public. Anyone could see what your transactions are. They could see perhaps where you were spending your money, et cetera. Um, and they, the, those, those apps, and the applications, they sit uh, an abstract layer. They sit on top of the XRP. So all of those central bank digital currencies that would be issued on these kinds of um, platforms, uh, you know, they might use RippleNet. They might take RippleNet as a, uh, as a product, use that in the bank, meaning that the technology underneath uh, is XRP, but they've separated it from what is the main Ripple network that is run on the open source nodes. Um, or they may choose to issue it through uh, these open source, like the mainnet, et cetera. Um, so central bank digital currencies themselves, yes, they can be used for surveillance. Yes, they can do 
and terrible things, but they, they are just being built on top of a technology. They could just as easily be built on top of Bitcoin or just as easily be built on top of Ethereum or uh, Monero or whatever it is that they wanted to build it on top of. Um, they've chosen to build it on top of XRP largely by design because XRP is a better solution for financial services. Um, you know, it's not the whole of Web3, right? Web3 is kind of is kind of separate, but it, it, it is what blockchain was intended to do. It was, it was intended to be a solution for banking. Um, and it's and it's proven to be a great solution. It's just that XRP is that solution. Um, now, the next question that was asked is, how does it work offline? Well, if you go back to our example and think about Alice and Bob and their ledger, um, you know, the only requirement for those uh, nodes that are out there is that they can all communicate with each other in some way. Um, and thus, that communication doesn't doesn't need to be the internet. The internet could be switched off. It could just as easily be a radio link. Um, there's nothing stopping some, you know, after the mathematical algorithm is run, there's nothing stopping that being written out on pen and paper, transported in a car, placed onto the ledger, um, and then and then stored and saved there, and, the, and those nodes agreeing on it through that mathematical proof consensus algorithm. Without that mathematical proof, without the consensus, uh, they don't have, um, you know, the, the, then you could not, you would have different copies of the ledgers. You'd have that same problem of, you know, three people would say Alice has $300 um, and three people said, actually, Alice gave her $300 to Bob. You'd have no way of knowing that was which was true or false. But thanks to that algorithm, rather than proof of work, you have a, a, a deterministic or a software way of saying, what is true and what is false? Um, what is what is a agreed upon consensus? What is a real genuine transaction that took place um, that's backed by cryptography? It will all work with just pen and paper and, and no need for any other communication system. Now, that might sound crazy, but, um, you know, it's impractical to realistically do it without a network connection, right? You can do it you know, there, there was a demonstration done uh, with Bitcoin where you could send Bitcoin via amateur radio. You could send a transaction through the radio waves. That transaction gets stored onto a um, onto a ledger through through the radio waves, um, and that was demonstrated. Someone sent money o over nothing. They were, you know, not even you know, literally over thin air. They were able to transact bitcoins and agree on a transaction amount. Put that put that transaction onto the ledger. Uh, by submitting it to the distributed networks. Now, you need a network of some kind to have a decentralized system. Um, you need to have a network. It just doesn't need the internet. It could just as easily be run over a group of people who, who connect their houses together via a radio link. Um, and that's what you'd see. That's the resilience of it. In the same way as like a, a, a nuclear missile, if it bombs part of the, the, the planet, the internet is supposed to root around this problem um, the same is true here of these decentralized systems. If the networks fail and falter, um, you know, the Ripple network is still supposed to be there and still supposed to run. And theoretically, um, although it would be very impractical if the world was a barren wasteland, it could run over pen and paper and a radio link. It wouldn't need any existing technology. It wouldn't even need wires. Um, so, you know, these are these are all the things that that, 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 that make this technology super interesting, right? Because it's it's, it means that we don't have a reliance on a centralized authority like a bank, but we, we may necessarily want some kind of authority, right? And that uh, comes back to the idea of having, well, no, no, no authority is anarchistic. So if you were a crypto anarchist, you'd probably think Bitcoin. If you were a crypto libertarian, you probably would say XRP because maybe minimal government is, in, is, is, is sensible. Maybe we want someone to agree on the roads. 
Um, and that's and that's similar here when when they're trying to discuss NFTs and how NFTs are placed. Uh, you know, with the XLS twenty coming up. Um, you know how they are, are uh, agreeing on that. Um, you know, we, we need some kind of uh, government agreements, right? If you look at Bitcoin, just to to get any kind of change made to that network or any kind of agreement, you know, it's a very lengthy process. It takes a long time. Often people say, "Well, Bitcoin's really fast now because of Lightning." Well, actually, Lightning's a completely different network that's built on top of Bitcoin. So, because Bitcoin's still too slow and nobody can change it, they're just going to build on top of it, right? Which is Exactly what we've done historically with technology that's failed. Big mainframes, where we build these big mainframes that run all our banking infrastructure. They cost millions of dollars. We don't want to replace them. So what do we do? We start building on top of them. We start putting websites and web servers and uh, putting things in front of them and sticking things up. Because who wants to spend millions of dollars again when we can spend a little bit more just building on the crap that we built before? Same concept with blockchain. Bitcoin came along. It's great. It's a marvelous thing. Doesn't do everything we want. Let's build on top of it, even though it's slower and doesn't do what we want when we could just use XRP, which solves this problem for us. Um, so, you know, that, and, and obviously there, there are a lot of personal opinions there reflected in that. My, my opinions do not in any way reflect those of the Ripple Foundation or any of the companies, um, you know, that I, I might be working with. Um, these are my views and my understanding of it. And the reason why I believe XRP to be a very safe bet is essentially it was already, it's already in. It's already in the banks, all right. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't take blockchain and and take Bitcoin and say, yeah, we'll do we'll do our banking solutions on on Bitcoin. They they took XRP. They realized, hey, we can we can we can really speed up our and make our money moving business better and faster than it was before and more efficient and we can make more money. Um, and that's what they used. And and they and they've been doing that since 2012. So everything else you're seeing around this around this is literally just smokescreen because. You know, they've replaced the world's financial backbone. And that comes with a very big speeding ticket from a lot of very big, powerful people who are going to be naturally upset that they've had their power taken away from them. Um, and that's why you're seeing things like with the, the WEF and everything else, because it's the illusion of power. You know, the, the centralized, decentralized system where you, you could have a bank with some kind of centralized nodes that provide that power illusion to the banking institution. Um, but really, the technology uh, is ours. It's the people's. And you, there's nothing stopping you becoming the bank. Um, and that's that's what I've been working on with uh, Jennifer and Vicky is uh, this bank in a box. We're actually building a bank. Um, so, yes, I, I, that, that's that's pretty much my summary. Um, I hope it was beneficial. I hope it didn't get too in-depth there. If you have any more questions, I'll happily field those. Thank you very much for that. Does anybody have any questions they want to ask while Matthew's on the call? Hi, Jen. Yeah, I do. Um, Thank you for the explanation, Matt. It was very good. Um, basically, it's more more of a question about training or certification. Um, obviously, you'll be aware of what CCNA and CCNP are with regards to networks. Is there something out there in uh, similar for blockchains or for for RippleNet? Hi, Mark. Um, so, not not that I've come across um, certification platforms for it. I mean, aside from ISO standardization. Um, it's really become a bit of an emergent field. So there may well be some industry specific. If you work in banking, you might have, uh, you know, blockchain certifications. There are certainly, I'm aware of forensics certifications where you can go and get, um, you know, one of these governing bodies to say you are certified to be a forensic specialist in blockchain. Um, but it's, it's bleeding edge. Um, and that's, and that's where a lot of these things get the confusion from because there's a lot of very complicated topics bounded around with acronyms that are very easy to confuse one another 
Um, so when it comes to certification, um, you know, I, I, I suspect that there will be things specific to the banking industry. I certainly know of them for forensics, but because it's such a new field, um, you know, how, how much of that will come along, I don't know. But uh, seeing international standardization, these ISO coins and things like that, um, are a great, great step forward to those directions where people can begin to understand what these systems are, get the training on how to use them and how to build products on them, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there are, there are definitely for forensics, uh, but for more general development uses and everything else, um, it's still quite emerging. And there's a shift away from, from these fintech solutions now to Web3, uh, which I'll get into on another call. It's all about identity assurance management. How do you prove who the person is and says they are. And it's, it's built on top of blockchain, but it's not really the financial solution we've just been discussing. Um, it's almost separate, but the same, again, just to confuse. Um, but I hope that answers your question, Mark. I think, I think what a lot of people are worried about with regards to the, the WEF and the uh, CBDCs. Um, so let's just say the um, we have this digital pound released in, in the UK, and then we're paid via this digital pound. Obviously, if that's on the, the CBDC sidechain, for example, are we sort of stuck with that coin? Can we transfer that for XRP, say, for example? I think that's what people are worried that they're going to get paid with a CBDC and then they're stuck with that CBDC. There's nothing they can exchange it for. I think people's concerns around centralized banking, digital currencies, like a national economy being built on a, on a privatized sidechain, um, that someone can be restricted from buying specific goods or services are incredibly valid fears. They absolutely, um, you know, have every right to be skeptical of such a system. The idea of a social credit system that's enforced that we see in China, um, you know, they could. The Bank of England, if they issue a digital pound, they issue it on their own side chain. They have their, you know, their liquidity pool that allows them to change the digital pound into the, uh, the digital euro. Um, you know, they could just very easily restrict your access to it. Um, but that's separate to XRP. If you hold XRP um, and you're holding your XRP tokens for the for the retail network and, you know, the, the open source, the, the general populous use, um, you know, that's separate. They, they can't restrict what you do with that. And you can you will likely be able to change that into any of the central uh, centralized currencies that use this technology because it's a bridge protocol. It's designed to swap money between different uh, types of currencies. So. Uh, even if the, the the digital bank says, "Hey, oh, hey we can't, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to let uh, the, G, the 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 London pound says we're not going to let you buy food because you were rude to your neighbour and put your wheelie bin out," um, you know, they, they 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 can't really stop you using XRP to buy digital pound and then buy goods. And obviously, you know, you'll need to think about surveillance and operational security and having a unique wallet. Um, I believe centralised current digital banking currencies are, are concerning because of the abuse potential that they open up. Um, it's almost like banks saying, well, yeah, you, you know, they've got that illusion of power again. How far are they willing to take it? Are they going to try and take that that power all the way? Um, and subsequently, the people themselves will be able to decide, well, you know, the 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 uh, the GDP, the, the centralized uh, English currency is no good. We're not going to accept it. You know, and, and XRP holders might say, oh, we don't want that. At the end of the day, they'll be the ones that hold the key to the new financial system uh, because they'll, they'll be the ones who are. Uh, ultimately using uh, the token and everything else that supports these on-demand liquidity pools. Um, you know, they're really a unicorn uh, is really what I would say there with that. Um, but, uh, you know, by holding those tokens, uh, you know, you you're, you're giving yourself more power in this new system that is eventually going to 
you know, be there whether we like it or not. Um, you know, banks will do this. Banks will will come in. They'll say, oh, you're laundering money for terrorist organizations. We're going to cut you off. Uh, you can't have any access to your money or we're going to, you know, take take your ability to spend it away. Um, you know, and that's always a, a huge concern. So I would like the option. I think that everybody should have the option to still be able to uh, pay for goods and services uh, in, um, you know, any any kind of form of currency that we want. I don't believe that anyone should be forced. Uh, to use a centralized, uh, you know, digital uh, banking currency, um, you know, and, and like you say, the Bank of England can restrict what happens with their currency, um, but they can't restrict what the XRP network itself does. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you very much. Brilliant. Lynn, you had your hand up. Do you have a question? Hi, yeah, thanks. Thanks for all the information, Matt. It, you touched on it, and it, it may have been discussed before I joined the call. I joined us uh, slightly later than the eight o'clock start, but you mentioned the bank in a box idea and Jennifer has spoke about the whole credit union project before on the the, um, the Telegram channel. But I just wonder if you, I suppose it's a question for you and Jennifer really, but can you give any more information on that at this point? Is it too early to kind of discuss that at this point? And how, in terms of how that may look, how it may work in terms of kind of the longer term plans, et cetera? If that question makes sense, it, it it makes tons of sense, Lynn. So, um, yeah, we we've we've created a a, a startup uh, with myself, Jennifer, uh, and Vicky uh, called Cove Credit. Uh, we've raised some money from Ripple to build out uh, open source tools to help us, um, you know, interact with the uh, the the Ledger network. So we, we are very early days at it, but we have started that process, and we are building essentially a credit union. Um, whereby people will be able to participate in these new systems. If you wanted to buy, you know, GB pound or whatever, um, you know, you'd be able to open an account with us and we, we're going to run the banking infrastructure. I mean, at the end of the day, the banks have been coming to me for computer security problems um, for a long time. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to us to essentially provide the security solutions with the product anyway. Um, so we will be uh, we will be launching a bank. We are very, very early days on it at the moment. Um, I know that we've got many months of work ahead of us uh, in terms of how that works. We're at the uh, very early phases. We broke the bank down into, I actually got the notes in front of me, so just give me a minute. Uh, three phases uh, where the initial phase will be uh, to be able to provide you with a wallet where you will be able to access your funds and, and, and act as the bank's customer. Um, and then we will be looking at a debit card type solution, which will allow you to essentially use this with your uh, mobile phone or whatever uh, to make payments and things like that. So we are very early days. We're many months away from a any further updates on it. Um, we've got things that we need to satisfy for the, the grant money we've got. Uh, but the money that's been raised is what we're using to essentially build this bank uh, by putting sweat equity into to building uh, a solution that will allow us to have independence. I want it for myself. I know Jennifer wants it for herself. And, and we don't see why we shouldn't be providing that as a service to other people if we have the means to do so. And certainly if we can do it in a secure way that allows people to retain sovereignty of their uh, their information and their finances, um, you know, then I don't want to restrict anyone's what they, what they do with their money. I just want to provide you with the means to access um, these new financial services as, as more and more of them uh, become, uh, you know, relevant for the future. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're at phase one. Uh, very early days. We've done design work. We've got some network diagrams. We understand and we've built what we call a, 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 a bank in a box, which is a, a very, you know, laptop that has 
essentially our technology stack in there, which uses XRPL, uh, the IPFS. These are all decentralized technology um, over, uh, you know, uh, unstoppable domain type solution for DNS. Um, and we're looking at how we're going to be able to issue a card. So eventually we'll be able to sell you a card as, as you open your account you'll get your card in the mail and that's your account, um, you know, and that will allow you to use all the services, which we will then run. Um, and the security will be provided by our cybersecurity services. So, um, you know, you, you'll, you'll be able to put some trust in, in, in the security of the banking system. Um, and we'll certainly be very transparent with you, the users, about how we do that and uh, how, how we, um, you know, essentially provide that solution. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's where we're at. Early days with it, but yes, we are making progress. Uh, it's myself, Jen, Vicky, and another guy who's uh, who's working on that at the moment. Does that help, Lynn? It does. It's it sounds really exciting. I mean, so it's, is it going to be specific to XRP and it's going to be a global platform or two questions? And then probably a third question would be, would it offer the facility, other than just being a bank, um, to earn that passive income that Jennifer talks about that XRP has the potential to offer? Potentially, um, when it comes to, uh, you know, what, what finance products will actually be used it for, to answer the first question, yes, XRP all the way, XRPL. I am not looking at any other blockchain solution right now. I've looked through Bitcoin. I've looked through Ethereum. I've looked at Ravencoin, Monero, and everything else. And uh, the direction we're heading and what's already been done and what we know, um, I'm, I'm building it on XRPL. Um, you know, Jennifer, is, uh, you know, when she talks about the passive income, uh, the concepts of kind of staking and loans and all of that, these are more like banking products um, that we will potentially put on there later on down the line. I know a key one that we wanted to do for this credit union was um, uh, when I spoke to Jennifer is the idea of voting, uh, that there would be a pool of money that you, that you can participate in. You'd be a customer of the bank. It's optional. You, you know, you can donate to that pool. Um, and then by however much you donate in would give you a share of the rights to say, hey, someone wants to run a, you know, leafleting workshop. They want to run an organizer protest. They want megaphones to, to yell at the government. Um, whatever that is, uh, you know, uh, they would be able to put a proposal towards all of the, the members and you would all be able to vote on it. Say, this is a brilliant idea. I'm so up for that. And de that's definitely where I want my money to go. Or no, I think that's a terrible idea. I don't want, I don't want that at all. Um, and vote against it. Um, you know, that's, that's the equal participation in it. You know, the decentralized thing that is that you, the customers will have the choice to decide what is done with funds like that. Um, you know, and obviously for, from, a, from us as a, a, as a bank perspective, we'll be looking at ways as how we can uh, build products that will support that design. Lynn, I hope that covers everything that you've uh, it did. wanted to ask. It did. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks very much, Matt. No problem. Octavian, you had your hand up next. Did you have a question for Matt? Yes. Thanks a lot for uh, letting me ask. Uh, hi, Matt. Thanks for uh, explaining uh, all details. Uh, I want uh, um, I want to ask you about um, the XRP token circulating supply and total supply. There is a specific time frame that new tokens are uh, getting in the network, or is about uh, supply and demand. So the, those would be questions better placed to um, the the you know Ripple devs and, and things like that. So in terms of um, you know. What, I, what visibility I have, I see a lot of the, the code and, and the tech, and I'm in, involved in conversations there. But I, I couldn't tell you what the, um, you know, the executive decisions, uh, upper management and, and people behind Ripple, um, you know, decide to do 
with in terms of liquidity. Um, they they obviously hold a large chunk of these tokens um, to provide into these ODL or on-demand liquidity pools that would allow banks. I think recently there was a, a Brazilian bank signed up. They issue a whole chunk of those tokens to that bank to provide them with this pool of resources so that they can conduct transactions uh, back and forth over the XRPL, uh, XRP ledger um, for, for, for various you know, transactions that they need to make. Um, so I believe that some of them will be pushed out uh, based on what deals are signed from a business perspective um, and what they need to interact with the XRP uh, ledger. Um, but, you know, I don't know what all those timelines would be or what they would look like. So I'm sorry to disappoint there, but um, obviously, you know, that there, there may well be some chunks of the code somewhere that release them on a specific time. Uh, I haven't dug into that myself too much yet. Um, I'm still trying to get my head around what, what is essentially uh, payment channels, which is how a lot of this stuff supports. Um, it's a, a concept where you create a pool of money and you authorize a bunch of people and transactions in advance, almost like I could say, you know, here's a here's a ten dollar gift card. You can go and redeem the ten dollar gift card. Um, but it's quite advanced in terms of what it what it what it actually means and, and what changes from the underlying technology. And um, you know, it becomes quite specialist. Uh, you know, there's the, the, there's never there's never not something new to learn in this space, which is what makes it really interesting. Um, so again, I hope that is, is useful to you. Yes, thanks a lot, man. Paul, yes, it was you, Paul, yourself. Sorry, carry on. Go for it. Hiya, Hiya Matt. Um, really interesting. Sorry, you, you answered a lot of my questions, actually, but there was one sort of philosophical question I've got, um, and it's whether Ripple or, or XRP especially, um, do you feel that it's going to help um, bringing back sovereignty of our data? So at the moment, if, like with all the technology we've got at the moment, we seem to be almost data raped. We we give away our information. Um, companies sell it. They market it. Market it. They make money out of this. Where where I see sort of Web three point kicking in is is that we start to take control of our own sovereign data. Um, does XRP have a part to play in that? So this is a great question, and this is why I tried to keep very relevant to financial solutions without going too much down the road of Web3. Um, data sovereignty and cyber sovereignty, the ability to, to be in a Web3 world where we no longer have, uh, as you accurately put it, uh, you know, uh, this data uh, pillage uh, almost or, uh, of, from society where they're putting it into, you know, silos, um, you know, where we are the product. Uh, Web3 brings about massive changes in identity assurance management and everything else. So, does XRP fit into that? Um, yes. It, 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 it's quick enough moving that it can adopt, that changes can be adopted. I've read, I've read through a lot of the discussions. I've read through a lot of their proposals um, about how it intends to, uh, you know, be able to move to a new cryptographic algorithm, how it attempts to address quantum cryptography. Um, you know, uh, Ethereum has become kind of the platform of choice because of MetaMask and browser extensions. But there is nothing stopping the XRP ledger uh, being part of that process as well. Uh, and in fact, when you look at what uh, they do with in terms of their webhooks or even, you know, decentralized exchanges, they've been um, they've been, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what other blockchain projects have done for a long time. You know, when you look at Ethereum. Uh, my wife said it before, it, you know, it, it, it's effectively a global computer 
that has the power of a Raspberry Pi. Um, if you look at the, the Ripple implementation of Hooks, which I'm still trying to get my head around, um, you know, they're using like WebAssembly. You can, you can run a full, you know, a full stack video game on top of the, the, the blockchain and have it link into your identity and make in-app purchases. Um, you know, they've got support for decentralized applications in the Zoom wallet. They call them X apps rather than dApps. But there, there is absolutely mass scape for it. It just depends on where the developers go. Um, and I know that Ripple is a uh, reason why I, I, I was able to raise money from them and, and to, to be able to get some time to work on these solutions and look at them um, is that they, they, they know that they need to attract the developers. They need to bring the open source people and they need to bring the innovators in. They need to bring those technologists to the table um, to push them in. And they are doing exactly that. They, they know that that's what they need to do and they are pushing full steam ahead on it. So does it have a place in the Web3 ecosystem? I think so, because I wouldn't be wasting my time building for it um, if the other solutions were better. Frankly, Ethereum is, um, you know, it ha has always been awful. The high gas fees, uh, the scalability problems. These are problems that have been known about for well over a decade now that they've never been able to uh, solve. And I'm sorry, but that Vitalik guy is a total weirdo. I, I mean, I'm not being funny, but look, I've seen these pictures online. I've seen the way he behaves. Some of the stuff he says, that guy's a creep and a weirdo. And I just frankly don't want anything to do with him. And, you know, his technology hasn't changed. Uh, you know, he's been bringing these promises, these proposed changes for, for a long period of time. Um, and ultimately, they haven't manifested. We, I'm, I'm still hearing the same gripes about Ethereum that I heard within the first three or four years of it being created. Guess where I'm not hearing those problems, right? The XRP, uh, the XRPL. Uh, you know, so the, these are, as people look at it and, and wake up to what it actually is and what they can do with it and what they've, they've actually built, um, it really does have a strong contender or a strong place uh, to be positioned for Web3. Um, I believe that that it that it that it, that it can definitely do it, um, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to see really if the development comes to it. Um, but you only have to look at the amount of uh, XLS twenty NFT backed projects trying to do VR and AR and everything else. Um, you know, and I'm sure that the Shiba NFT guys and, and others uh, who are out there will be able to speak more on this, the gaming aspects and everything else. Um, you know, and, and things like Casino Coin and everything else. But uh, it, it, it's there. Uh, there's no reason why it couldn't be. Uh, the, the main adoption for Web3. At the moment, Ethereum has kind of a big stake, uh, a big chunk of the, the, the foothold of it, um, but it's just so early uh, that we can, you can't really tell who's going to win that race. Uh, but in terms of the financial solution, uh, XRP's already won. It's, it's light years ahead of the competitors. It's already a done deal. It's in the banks. It's, that's, that's done. Uh, it, whether it will be the winner for Web3, that's a little hard to say because it's still very early. Uh, in terms of the technology. It certainly doesn't have the wide adoption that it will need, but it's doing everything it can to get that. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, that, that's, that's my summary of it. I believe so. It, it's, I suppose what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, is that we, we've, we've sort of come to a crossroads. It's almost like when we, we first embedded the hammer, we, um, or we find, find out about the hammer, we, we, we could use the hammer to build or we could use it to kill someone. And it's almost the same with the technology we've got now is, is that, this technology could could basically free us from from slavery and, and bring back our sovereignty, or it could absolutely enslave us. Um, so it's, it's I suppose it's the intent behind um, the platforms and, and the people that use it as well, and also the people in control of it. Absolutely, and you know the the, the political ideology of the participants and the developers and everything else. Look at Tornado Cash. 
Uh, Tornado Cash was uh, the, the developer of previously worked for the, the Russian uh, FSB, worked for the Russian intelligence services, um, created a, 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 an application or a DAP type application that would help you launder money in more effectively. Although it wasn't wasn't marketed as such. It was marketed as an anonymity and privacy tool, um, but it was designed to help people launder money and hide the source of their funds or hide their funds. Um, you know, and obviously that angers a lot of people. It's, it's going to anger those who, who, are, who are on a particular side of things who think, well, you shouldn't have any anonymity. The government should know everything in your life, right? Um, you know, and that's why you have that kind of broad political spectrum. And, and I've noticed that trend as well. You have the very uh, no government anarchists who are like straight, Bitcoin all the way. That's all they want. Maybe a bit of Ethereum, but Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And then you have yeah. probably more who will be more XRP and, and finance and, and everything else oriented. So um, absolutely, it can make or break us. It really does depend on us as a society. And I think that it's it's reflective almost of what our societal views are. Um, if the society becomes, uh, you know, more uh, authoritarian, it becomes very regime oriented, then, yeah, maybe centralized banking digital currencies will be the thing that everybody has because everybody wants it. Um, but if enough of us stand up and say, hey, fuck you, I want my freedom. Give me my freedom back. It wasn't yours to take. You know what I mean? It, you didn't ever have the right to investigate my funds. You never had the right to look at what I was paying. You never had the right. The government, the finance industry, they never had the right to determine what I was spending my money on or asking me what it was for or anything. That, that was none of their business. But their only business is, is whatever business I allow or permit them to have. Um, you know, and there, and there will be more and more people who realize and wake up to that. Whereas some people are like, well, you've got nothing to hide. So, you know, what are you worried about? You know, they can stop terrorism. They can stop bombs being funded. Um, you know, there, there will be, there will always be that, that, that element of society reflected in the technology that we build. Um, but I believe this solution can be the thing that can both free us as well. And I agree, it could also be used to enslave us if it's misused and in the wrong hands, um, which is why more open source, more transparency, uh, love things like the XRPL because it allows me to read what's going on. Um, you know, and I, I literally, the bank has no business with asking me ever anything about my money. It's my money, not theirs. You know, when, if I'm a customer of your bank, it's none of your business what I'm doing with my money or, or what I spend it on. If I want to go and buy anything, I have the right to do that. And I should never have to explain myself. But today we've all become complacent to stop fraud in explaining what each of our transactions do. What each, you know, oh, you spent 10 pounds. Can you tell me the last five things you spent money on? Uh, no, fuck you. How about that? I'm not going to tell you a thing I've spent my money on. That's what the situation should be. You should never be asking me. You should be like, oh, our fraud system detected things. We fixed it and recredited your account because our security was so good. We knew that there was a problem. We fixed it for you. Have a nice day. Bye now. They should never even be asking me a single question. Um, but there are, you know, there are governments around the world that will be horrified by that concept because they want to retain these legacy archaic power structures that they've built, that they've used to control us for centuries. So, yes, it can free us and it can enslave us. So it might as well be the freedom thing, um, which is why everyone should be getting involved in it. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for for going through that. It's interesting because because over here, obviously, I'm I'm completely anti what they're doing with with the banks and tracking all your money and everything else and, and bringing out digital ID. But then I've got I've got family in India where they've just in the last few years they've brought out something called the Aadhaar card, which is digital ID. It, it is digital ID, but it's helping a lot of people that did not have access to to money before, where the government could help. But it's almost like they're bringing it out as a carrot to help the poor. So you can see where it is it's, it's tough. You can see where, where, it, where it prospers, but also how much, how much it's intrusive at the same time. 
Um, and it's almost like a double-edged sword. It's like it can be used to help or it can be used to, to like you say, just, just lock us down and give us a social credit system just like China. It's interesting, really interesting. Yeah, it's like payment systems in, in, in third world countries, right? You, know, you, can, you, can, you can pay your friend via your mobile phone because, you know, in, in some countries, they, they, they don't have ATMs, they don't have, have things. So their bank account is literally the SIM card on their mobile phone, um, yeah. which is really funny. If you leave your phone out on a table and, and turn you back for five minutes, someone will text all your money to themselves. Yeah. Um, I've been stoned by that sort of thing all the time. But, um, you know, the, 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 the freedom aspect of it, the, the, the way that we can stand up and we can say, hell no, you know, um, yes, there will be convenience. And, th and, it's, and it brings me to a great quote, because at the end of the day, the government out there, all of these governments, the Indian government, the, the American government, the, all of them, they all hate encryption, right? They all hate cryptography. They all say, well, you can't encrypt things. We need to be able to read everything that you say. Yet they love using it to create national identity cards or they love using it to create covid vaccine passport systems they love cryptography when they can use it to control us but they absolutely hate it when they can be used to free us they don't want you to have it they want to make math legal um you know they want to have it for them to control you but they don't want you to have it to control yourself and that's the thing about society is that it's up to us the people to take the participation of it to take our freedom back we don't, i'm not asking for it it's my freedom they should never have had it in the first place and that's the situation that we all find ourselves in today you just turn around and say no not having that thank you very much i don't want it you know i'm having my freedom back screw you you know because they can't they can't literally jail us all they haven't got enough prisons yet but god help them they'll try and build it because that's how evil some of these men are that rule our world right i, I still haven't seen anyone convicted from just like Ghislaine maxwell's sex trafficking i still haven't seen answers to the people for all kinds of crimes that we've all witnessed and they're trying to tell me about justice and how i should bend over and accept what they offer me because it's the best I'll get when I don't have to. I can give them my middle finger and I can say blockchain all the way, right? I can take cryptography and I can use cryptography to empower myself. And that's really what frightens them is that more and more people are waking up to that, um, which is why they want to go after kind of retail investors, why you want to see the set going after tornado cash. They don't want you to have privacy. They, the government want to know everything you do in your life so they can better equip themselves to control you so that you're more reliant on them, so that they will get, they will tell you and force you to do those things. And they will do it through cryptography. They will use the very tools that are meant to save us against us to control us more. Um, and that's why you've got to stand up and say enough is enough. Get involved. Get writing code, get, get, get involved in these projects, learn about them, learn about the technology that does it. And in fact, you know, trust but verify. Don't take anything I've said on the call at face value. Go out and learn about it for yourself. Um, you know, trust but verify. Learn about it. You, know, you can take my word from it based on my background and know that. But hell, go and read it. Go pick apart what I've said. Write me an email. I'm pretty responsive. Um, you know, but ultimately, that's you. This is, you have the option. You can be free. You can choose to be free. And you can take your freedom. Or you can bow down and accept the enslavement that's coming. And if enough of us turn around and, and accept and choose our freedom, then that enslavement doesn't happen. They fail. And that's why we need people doing this kind of thing. And that's why, you know, Jennifer, these community calls and everything else that she does, very grateful for her to have invited me on today. Um, I don't often get the time to do this, and, and I really do enjoy interacting with you all. So, um, you know, thank you, thank you all for participating today. And, and again, thank you to Jennifer and Vicky for hosting. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. And I just want to add everybody, Matthew is a former Bitcoin maxi, like super maxi, like head of the army maxi, um, who when we were 
working on this over the years, you know, in the past few years, still held on to this. And then I love that, Matthew, you know, thank you for getting into Ripple and sharing us everything you've been, you know, working and doing on um, because what he did for Ripple, guys, was nothing short of genius. I mean, they had developers trying to do what he did in like a matter of six days. It was incredible. And their jaws were on the floor. Remember Vicky when he presented? So, I mean, I, I wanted to present this to you because it's one thing when you hear me, you know, mo you know, keep going on and on about XRP. Um, but then to actually have someone that's like, you know, in, in there, you know, rolling up the sleeves, kind of building on it, looking at how it functions, ripping it apart, seeing how uh, these these different passphrase and there's we didn't even get into the functionality of some of the stuff that Ripple's doing with master passwords and all these accounts and stuff. I guess we can do that another time. But thank you so much, Matthew, <laughs> for joining. I, I really appreciate it. As I said, I'm more than happy to try and do like a technical presentation type thing in the future, talk more about code credit. Um, I'm, I, I do a lot of technical presentations and I was trying to avoid that today. Um, but, you know, I, I can talk more about the security, some of the interesting things. I mean, what got me with the XRP was um, was some, was the fact that they thought about security from the get go. Um, you know, and I started to question the Bitcoin uh, almost like this religious tribal belief, like we're so in, 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 encapsulated in this is the one true path that can only be the right path. Um, you know, and, and it's missing and, and you're missing the, the, the forest for the trees. Uh, you know, you're staring at one thing and thinking that that's the only way and that's the only tree. And, and there's this big, much bigger picture out there. Um, you know, and you have to take into account all these things. You have to take into account that, you know, banks, banks aren't just going to go away. Your grand, your, your grandma and, and your friend and your neighbor and the guy down the street, they're still going to want to use a bank of some kind. They're still going to want to use something that feels a little bit familiar, um, to what they had before. Um, you know, and, and the idea of having like a lawless society, pure anarchy, you know, well, it's never really been done particularly too much in, in real government. So, you know, Danish town of Christiana, um, other, you know, uh, areas, but, you know, a world of, of lawlessness with, well, not technically lawlessness, but a world of, 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 of um, equality and equal power and everyone's equal in the system or whatever. Um, sometimes people need a little government. They need a little, they need a little of arbitrage. They need a little bit of a dispute working out between a neighbor that's put a fence up and the other neighbor that disagrees with how high it should be. Sometimes we need an intermediary to come in and say, ah, your fence is too high, you know, build it down or, or it's fine. You can see over it. What's the problem? Um, you know, we, we, some, some people need that. Some people want that. Um, you know, but you know, there, there, there are certain le levels of extremes of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I do want to say thanks uh, again for taking me on, on the call today. I, I really did enjoy it. And, and maybe in the future we'll, we'll talk more tech. Um, and I can do some demos and, and perhaps show you guys some more about what we're working on at uh, cove.crypto. Uh, that's, our, that's our domain. Whenever we've got anything good, eventually it will be at cove.crypto. Um, so that's where you'll be able to find us. Thank you. Look, no I problems. hope your brains haven't exploded. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matthew has a tendency to do that. Uh, but I thank him for really taking time out. We had a, we have a, a client emergency today that Matthew kind of took time away from to, to do this. So thank you, Matthew. Um, and you guys look, I mean, we are still uncovering how this get, becomes implemented and you know, what, how the little steps that are taking, uh, taking place every single day to implement a new financial system. And again, to break out of these chains that we've lived in. 
um, even if we didn't know they existed, right? So whenever there's fear around this financial system or you guys start spiraling because you see headlines where there's some creepy ass biometric rice pin that you stick in your, you know, second <laughs> finger and then you can't shop because you were you didn't do what you're supposed to and um, hail Klaus, you know, on Friday. So these kind of things are like merely just there to threaten and, and kind of get people to their respect to respond. Um, sure, they, you know, people patent all kinds of creepy things. There's lots of stuff in development that doesn't mean it all goes through. And we're going to see a lot of that when, you know, regulation really, this really does, the mass adoption does take place. And there really will be, you know, regulation on stable coins, regulation around CBDCs. Um, for those of you following Bradley Kimes with Digital Perspectives, I mean, he's really big on watching the stable coin regulation because like Matthew said earlier, you know, there might be a currency that implements a certain, um, you know, parameter or biometric parameter to which you disagree with, but who cares or you don't want to be part of, but but it's just like you choosing one bank or, or over another. Um, as long as you have a wallet, access to transact and a, a bridge currency, essentially, that can take any currency and transition it into another which is exactly how XRP works. Um, you know, you, you, we can function without this kind of push towards, you know, just central banks only. Um, Vicky, I, do you remember there was a video like a while, I don't know, there was, you know, of one of the ripple, like the banks that were using it that, that had mentioned the biggest problem they have with, you know, is like gauging user interest and one of the things they don't like is when there's too many rules, like the bank openly admitted they know um, and they they are very cognitively aware of when people kind of shut down to BS, you know. So think about how many times in the bank you don't want to pay, you know, in the U.S., I mean, overdraft fees are like a big thing here. Um, or, you know, you want you go to this bank go over that bank because they offer something more appealing. Um, but there was a specific of uh, a video that just kind of said, look, we've been trying that for years. They don't want it. The people don't want it. The banks know they don't want it. Um, so this is why uh, it, it is interesting to see, you know, to hear kind of that perspective. I think it was a really boring banking. It might have been the link that we shared when we talked to Nick Frazier, where they had a banking panel a few months ago. Um, I will look, check that. But I just remember the point where he addresses that fact to the audience that, you know, can you imagine how uncool the, you know, PR backlash you would get if you're, you know, that one bank. Um, now, sure, if there is a, if there's a mass push, like a federal law or something, I mean, then you start thinking about how people will just refuse to accept it or how the people, uh, you know, take, take back their power. And if you remember guys, a few months ago, I posted a clip from Edward Dowd and he talked about how there was, it was inevitable. There was a crash coming. It was inevitable that a new financial system was being built out of the one that is already there. And it really is up to us, the people to decide what that looks like, how it runs and who governs it. So on that notion of, you know, like we say, hiding in plain sight or just being right there and being present and pushing back and squeezing them till their eyes pop you know, we can stay part of the, um, you know, of this kind of adoption 
into, uh, you know, the formalities of how these, you know, the interoperability will happen ultimately, right? And it's not about Klaus and his crew. It's really about the people, um, the technology, like we said, and hopefully have shed some light in over the last hour um, is not synonymous or it does not equal evil. Um, just because a few evil people got some ideas, um, money, I think you mentioned it, but you know, they're just like all these little things that on, you know, with Ripple and the XRP that they've gone out of their way. I mean, they're aware of it all and they've taken their time developing this because as we've shared on this channel, I'm sure that video where they, they, you know, came out in 2012, 13, and they said, we're here for all the money, all the world's money. This is, we are completely changing this system. So they didn't rush out uh, to be the best in the first, or to be the first to market on all this. They started top down. And so, again, I'm not here to be the, you know, to, to, to change anyone's mind. If this still doesn't sit easy with you or doesn't feel like you, you know, you're listening to this and you just don't resonate with crypto and digital or these digital assets, then stick to what you know with, with metals. But because this is a big part of where we're moving towards, and I'm always asked this, I wanted to make sure that I could give this the attention that it deserved because it's, you know, it's not for a second, like I said to you guys, do I want anybody feeling like we are shilling you or pulling the wool under your eyes? God forbid you listen to Cliff High, who understands fuck all about this technology, um, you know, because he's just, he's missing it completely. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people very hesitant about the CBDC adoption with good standing. Um, so this is why we have to, or with, with good reason, so this is why we're breaking this apart. Have I just beaten this point to death yet? Or are you guys still there? No, perfectly rounded up, Jen. Absolutely. And this okay. is the thing, like you said, you know, when it comes to any cryptocurrencies, it's about researching it thoroughly. It's about being confident in the utility and understanding where they're going and whether it sits with you. Um, Again, we're not financial advisors, we're just guiders. We tell you what we're doing. It's down to individuals to to get to grips. And um, I think Matthew has perfectly articulated what we've tried to over the last however months, isn't it, Jennifer? It's, it's quite hard without explaining the technology thoroughly um, why we haven't been concerned about the WEF con you know, contacts with it, so to speak. Yeah, and I think we're also... Um you know, watching the story evolve or the evolution and adoption of this technology takes place. And as it does, you know, you start seeing the opportunities there. You know, of course, there's always some kind of draconian, deep, dark, you know, alternative plan. But, you know, this is really to get out of the central banking system. And, you know, that kind of freedom and in taking back our sovereignty it's very important to me, and that's why I really wanted to make sure we had a conversation to let anybody who had an opinion or had questions um, voice those here. Obviously, this conversation is not dead. This isn't about fear-mongering. This is about focusing on the doom and gloom, but really, again, to see the opportunity. So on that note, I guess we'll wrap up. What a great chat. It's been super tonight. Thank you all for being here and, and staying through that call.